We have some wonderful shows to talk with you about. We're so glad you made it. Please take a seat and get comfortable. Now that you're settled, why don't we dive in? Because these shows are really absolutely amazing. Leading off this episode, we head to Manhattan Theater Club's Off-Broadway Theater at New York City Center, Stage 1, for the play Prayer for the French Republic. This, this is a true, a, a, a real work of art. It, it's truly a beautiful piece of theater. I mean, it not only tells the story of the past, but it also challenges the ideas of the present. You know, it, so it takes place in both 1945 Paris and then 2015-2016 Paris. So, you know, dual time periods on the same set. Um, and at the center of the set is the piano, the grandmother's piano. So grandmother for 1945, great-grandmother to 2015-2016. Um, and, yeah, it... It, this show like just left an impression on me. The dialogue is so fluid and so wonderful. It's very natural and very rapid fire. Um, similar like when we I saw Scar Tissue, mm-hmm. this didn't feel like rehearsed. This just felt like exactly... What they would say exactly. as they said Ex- This didn't feel art. This felt real. Um, the subjects discussed are just so brilliant and so important. The idea that... History is so important that we can't wait for the big moments to fix and forgive things that are so pervasive, you know? And I know that sounds like a really just outlandish idea, but it was referencing the Holocaust, uh, you know, on on one end, and then on the other end, it was uh, uh, referencing a tire, or excuse me, it was tying it to the post-2016 Europe and even America and showing that the growing hatred towards marginalized groups and the Jews in particular. And it was showing us that like, hey, we can't wait for another Holocaust to try to rectify this. You know, it's so prophetic. The thing that I, one of the things I really took away from this was, um, there's a great discussion. Okay, let me back up. In the modern day family, the son is attacked for being Jewish in Paris, which is, this is a thing. There's, there's, the far right is growing in Europe. And anyway, he's just, he's, he's assaulted for being Jewish. And that's when they're like, we don't feel safe. We should move to Israel. And there's a visiting distant cousin there who's from America. That's just like, just so you know, you you should know that, you know, Israel is like an invader of Palestine, that kind of thing, you know? Um, He's too woke. She. she. Sorry, she's too woke. Well, I mean, we're not going to get on that issue on this podcast. You know, there, there's, 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 there are issues on both sides. But her and the daughter of the family end up going out. And the daughter's very smart. And she's laying out all this stuff. And she says, the society that exists in the world has become ahistorical. And she explains that. She says, look. All anybody ever remembers anymore are big events. Big events that thousands and millions of people killed, were killed. Or big memorializing events. That's all I remember. The Holocaust. Six million Jews killed. 9-11. 5,000 people killed in one city. 
If you ever notice, we talk about 9-11, we reference the 5,000 people killed in New York, but we don't say anything normally about Washington, D.C. or Pennsylvania. It's immediately 5,000 people were killed in New York. Um, you know, and then she talks about, you know, things that we've memorialized, um, you know, the queen ascending to the throne in England and stuff like that. And she says the way people do their historical research, nobody reads anymore. All they do is they look up one article on the internet or they watch one video on YouTube and they think they're the most informed person in the world and they can go out and debate and discuss things on the most learned level. And they're not open to new ideas because they've read one article or seen one video or ahistorical. The problem with that is, is we become blind to how we got to those events. She's like, so for instance, the Holocaust, not the first time that there was a mass murder of Jews. What about the Spanish Inquisition? They reference this one thing in Strasbourg, Germany, where thousands of Jews were burned alive, you know, during the Renaissance. Um, the Crusades. Mm -hmm. And it's like, this, the Holocaust wasn't the first. The Holocaust was the most recent, and it was on the largest scale. And what she's pointing out is we are watching all these small events, and we're waiting for a big event to happen, and then we're just going to turn around and go, that was horrible, and we should never let it happen again, just like we did at the last big event. And she says we make ourselves feel better by thinking that we're having this, that we're taking action by posting something on social media by signing a petition you know by saying that i've read an article and she says those are thoughts those aren't actions you're not going out you're not marching if you're in america and you don't like the way your tax dollars are being spent why aren't you doing something with your vote why aren't you helping educate people who are ignorant when it comes to voting why aren't you making sure the right candidate who decides how things happen gets elected you have that power why aren't we doing more to change the world if we recognize something bad why aren't we doing it and she had this whole scene where she lays that out. And I just went, oh, my God. <laughs> like, my heart just, like, sank. And I was like, this is exactly. Right. Right. Because you can't, you can't stop the Holocaust just as the Holocaust is happening. Because it's part of a snowball effect of little things that led up to an event like that happening. Right. Um. And before I go more into the story, I, I want to oh, I want to touch on a couple of things real quick. The set. I mentioned the set. It was incredible and it was versatile. Uh, the whole set rotated, which allowed us to see the two worlds at the same time. But it was all, it also served for many different places at one time, if that makes sense. Um, you know, the hallway, if you looked at it from one angle, could be a hallway. But on the one other angle, it was that bar that the cousin and the sister ate at. And then on the flip side, it could be like a street. Mm -hmm. which was great. Um, yeah, it just served a lot of purpose. It was very ingenious. Simple set, but it, a lot of use out of it. Mm -hmm. And then as the play continues, the worlds begin to meld and interact correctly. Or not uh, not correctly, I'm sorry. Um, inadvertently. Um, the blocking from the two worlds, like they, they cross over to the different rooms. They don't necessarily interact. But like if the, the past was in the dining room, the future could walk in the dining room, but they wouldn't acknowledge the people from the past. They would just maybe walk okay. through it in the third act. Yeah, so I was like, okay. The, you can kind of see how the stories are intertwining. Um, the play is in three acts, and it's about an hour each, but it, I mean, it doesn't feel that way. Um, it, the, 
the last two things I just want to mention that are that just left this mark with me, and I know I'm, we're going long, but this is how profound this show was. In the top of the second act, in the past, the grandmother and grandfather, you know, they don't know anything about their kids. They somehow escape being arrested. And their daughter and her family made it out to Cuba and then Mexico. But their sons and their family, they don't know what happened. They knew that they were arrested. Was this in the past? Or is... mm-hmm. okay. They knew they were arrested, but they don't know what happened afterwards. Word of the concentration camps didn't get out. Like, during the war, nobody knew about them. And after the concentration camps were liberated, it wasn't like the word was spreading around. Because one, not a lot of information was being passed out. But two, nobody really wanted to talk about it. Well, anyway, at the top of Act 2, you meet their son, who ends up being the future's father or grandfather. Mm-hmm. No, excuse me. You meet the past son and his son. And his son is their grandfather in the future. Okay. You with me? Mm-hmm. Okay, anyway, they walk in, top of Act 2, and you get shivers. I mean, shivers. It is they are as thin as a rail. They have the buzzed cut. They look like somebody that just got out of a concentration camp. They don't need to tell you where they've been. You know exactly where they've been because you have seen that image before. Uh, it just, it completely shatters your heart. And of course, like I said, they haven't told the, the parents, the grandparents yet, you know. And they're like, you know, uh, they had just finished a meal and the grandmother's like, eat, eat, you know, yeah, yeah. I remember when you used so much more, you know, you've, you've thinned out. And he goes, oh, well, I, I, I must have taken more food back then. You know, I was probably greedy. No, no, we must, you must eat. I mean, look at you. You've, you've, you've lost so much weight. And the, like I said, the mother, the grandmother has no idea. And it isn't until the end of Act 2 when she finally just prized so much. She said, I want to know where my daughter-in-law, where's my granddaughter? And the son who's holding these books finally just throws them down and he goes, they're dead. They're effing dead, okay? And I had to bury them. And you can, I mean, the entire audience, just the air went out of the room. It it breaks your soul. But then you, you have this moment at the end of the show where... So the son, the youngest, the, the son of the son of the grandparents. Mm-hmm. you got to follow me on that one from the past. He's the grandfather in the future. He comes out and he's talking to them because that's when... Talking the, to who? To the future. Okay. Okay, so the daughter and her family, that's the one with the kid who got assaulted. They're going to move to Israel and she's explaining that to him. And the daughter and the son from the future, son disagrees, but hey. But, you know, grandfather, who's going to take care of him? So they're making sure he's okay with it. And he says, you have to go. He gives a speech about, you know, you have to go where you feel you need to. The Jews have always been a wandering people. And da-da-da-da-da. And he's trying to help also explain why people have always hated the Jews. And as he is talking, he is talking like this loud in a 350, 400-seat theater. And it's like nobody is breathing. You know when it gets really, really quiet and you can almost feel like negative sound, if that makes sense? Like the Mm -hmm. air is like deafening. That's how it was. And everybody was just zero focus on this guy. And finally, he asks everybody, you know, do you know why the Jews hate us? Or why, why people hate the Jews? Sorry. And they start listing it off kind of chronologically. 
we killed Christ. Well, no, we didn't kill Christ. We did this. And then, you know, they, we were forced to take this awful job of managing money and giving out loans and get da, 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 da. And they left, list all these things off. And finally, the son from the future breaks out and cries. And he says, but no matter how awful they treat us, I refuse to hate them back. And that is a profound statement that just I left the theater with because I went, that gives me hope for the future. A people who've been oppressed for God knows how many years and the future of that people is saying, I refuse to hate. And that just doesn't apply to Jews. Think of all the other marginalized people in the world who've been oppressed and abused and put down. And if the future generation says, I refuse to hate, but I want change, that gives me hope. Don't accept the way things are, but you can't fight fire with fire. It, I mean, you know, violence only breeds violence. It just made me happy. And then the daughter chimes back with, I don't understand how in a world they can hate us so much, but yet what do we give them back in return? Names like Einstein and Freud and Kafka and Bernstein, and they're willing to roll these names off the tip of their tongues like they're planets, like they're some great experience, and yet they still hate us. And I went, that's incredible. That thought right there. We hate you unless you do something for us. It's a, This was a play that I almost feel like should be taught in schools. Because it really, it, it to see how 80 year, we're 80 years now past World War II, and it's like, guys, pick up on the signs. Mm -hmm. Pay attention. Anyway, I've rambled on too much. It's truly a moving piece of theater, and I can't miss a show. I, I can't. Go see it. Yeah. Go see it. Tickets for this show playing at New York City Center Stage, Stage, sorry, New York City Center Stage 1 are on sale through February 27th, 2022. For the next performance we actually don't go too far at all <laughs> just a few flights up here at new york city center uh their main stage that is we saw encores the tap dance kid again another incredible show um first of all if you've never been to new york city center that theater is gorgeous i didn't get to see this show with you but you uh showed me what the inside of the theater looked like and oh my god I wish I could have been there with you. Yeah, it was beautiful. Second of all, if you wanted to see the fastest feet in town, this is the show to go to. The tap dancing was insane. The greatest tap dancing I've ever seen in my entire life. It was out of this world. I love tap dance. I want more tap dance in everything. I think that tap should be everywhere. It's such, it's just incredible. Um. It's a show that was presented as a work in progress, like a concert. And that was really cool because part of the story itself is about putting on a show. Um, it's, it's based in the uh, 50s, I believe. And the uncle, Dipsy, is African-American. He wants to put on a show that eventually comes to Broadway starring people of color and whatnot. Mm -hmm. You know, an African-American puts on 
you know, designs, choreographs, directs the show. And I know today we're like, big deal, but, you know, 1950s, hey. Oh, we're, I mean, we're not far off, but hey. Um, so it was cool that we're seeing a show, a work in progress about a show that's a work in progress. Um, there was a full symphonic jazz orchestra on stage, which was really great. Even the conductor was like really getting into the music, which was cool. Um, there was really fantastic acting, especially from the kids. I loved the daughter. She was great. She was sassy and she just, the strong feminist, you know, my dad might've been one of the first black lawyers in New York, but I'm going to be the first female black lawyer in New York and even the first female black lawyer to sit in the Supreme Court. And I was like, yes, you know, get it. I love that. Um, the music was catchy and familiar with snippets of there's like melodies from those 1970s musicals that we loved. And I'm not saying they copy them. There's just like, you know, when you like hear a little like one bar melody, they're like, I've heard that before. And it sounds mm -hmm. like that's what I mean. But then you like left the theater humming the songs. One of my favorite was Four Strikes Against Me. The daughter sings. I'm young. I'm black. I'm a girl. And I'm I think she said she was ugly. She's not ugly. She said, you know, I've got four strikes against me. And I was like, that's a really catchy song, you know. Um, so, yeah, they checked all those boxes. At the end of the show, okay, Joshua Henry's in the show. And for the most, for the, like, the majority of the show, he doesn't have this huge role. He plays the dad. Like, when he's on the stage, he has this very deep voice. And I'm the dad. I'm the man. And everyone listens to me. Da, 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 da. Okay, well, the boy just wants to dance. Let the boy dance, right? He has this like monologue song at the end after his son auditions for his uncle to be in the show. And the boy who plays the kid is ridiculously talented, right? Mm -hmm. So Joshua Henry delivers this soliloquy song like he did when he was Billy Bigelow. Finally remember that name from Carousel, <laughs> right? That, I mean, that, that stopped the show dead. They tried to go on and nobody would stop applauding. It was like a 10 minute song it's a heartfelt monologue song, and he goes into this dance that's very, it's offensive in reminiscent ways, if that makes sense, because he's mocking and portraying the minstrel blackface shows of the vaudeville mm. days that we used, that's how African Americans used to dance back then, if that makes sense, with the goofy eyes and the shaky they face were, and that. They, yeah, he was making fun of the minstrel shows who were making fun of yes because that's how he thought people. that uh, that's the only way that African Americans could be on the stage and that's how white people would only see African Americans yeah and so that's how he's like you want to see a dance I'll show you a dance and and so it was heartbreaking but it was offensive and it was meant to be mm -hmm. you know um, and it yeah it was just oh it was so good can't get enough of the tap dance I said um, the thing that I really loved about this show. And at the intermission, I read this. So City Center Encores, in there, they promised to deliver a more diverse and broader embrace of what theater should be, who should be in it, and who it should be for. And they checked all those boxes. It was the most diverse cast I've seen. Um, I'd, I'd have to double check the design team. I know Kenny Leon, who's African-American, directed it. But I mean, even the symphony behind them was diverse. Um, it was a story about African-American family. Um, and the audience, this was the coolest thing. The audience mirrored who we were seeing on stage. 
there were little black kids all throughout the balcony where I was at. So it wasn't just a bunch of rich white people going to see. No, 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 no. The, the audience and the stage matched who was seeing it. And I was like, this is how theater should be. Now, I'm not saying you just stick to who's not, like, you know, if it's a, uh, a dominant white show that should be dominant white people. But what was nice is I was like, theater is something that should be accessible to all peoples of all colors, Ages. Ages, religion, sexual, whatever. Theater should be accessible by to everyone and for everyone and that. And this, seeing that this theater company was like, this is our goal, I feel like they just, they knocked it out of the park. They made a concerted effort and they, they did it. And I'm like, okay, everyone, they've solved the equation. Follow that. So hats off to them. Sadly, the show closed on February 6th, 2022. And this concludes this episode of the Broadway Bulletin. Be sure to tune in to our next edition, coming out every Tuesday and Saturday. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez. And I'm Hope Bird. Reminding you to turn off your cell phones. Unwrap your candies and keep your mask on. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Booga Blue by U.S. Army Blues. Other music on this episode provided by John Bartman and Billy Murray. Oh,